So we're coming out of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, and we're starting off. And you might be thinking, well, is it really that bad what they did in the garden? And could things get that much worse? I mean, surely um, just taking from this forbidden fruit and eating it isn't as bad as other things that people have done. Uh, but I think what we see, especially in chapter 4 and then on, that, yeah, things do get a lot worse. It reminds me of that hilarious scene in the movie Tra Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Remember where John Candy, he uh, smashes their car between two semis, and there's these gigantic scrapes down both sides of the car. And he looks at it, and he's like, oh, it's not that bad. I think it'll buff right out. And that might be what we're thinking, too, when we're hitting Genesis 4. It's like, man, it was not that bad. They can fix this. They, it was just some fruit. We can get this back on track. We can get back into the good, good grace of God, and then maybe we can enter back into that kingdom. Do we really need to put our hope in that promised seed, or can we fix this ourselves? And so I think there's three things I'm going to walk through that I want to highlight. And the first one is that God is generous in his mercy, and we need to be thankful. And we see this throughout this passage, God being generous even to sinners um, like me. Uh, we see that he is generous in his mercy towards Cain when Cain is feeling overwhelmed with what he has done and the punishment that he's received. God marks him with some type of mysterious mark to protect him. We see the creativity and the ingenuity later in the chapter. Uh, I think that is God's mercy and God's grace flowing through the creativity of God, flowing through uh, as an image of, of him in the creativity of humankind. We see tools, musical instruments that are being created. And of course, we see God's mercy at the very end where God gives Adam and Eve another son in Seth. And the second thing I think we learn here is that sin is destructive. I need to be warned. We need to be warned about that. Um, like I said before, could things get worse? Yes, absolutely. They get a lot worse. We see Cain first responds with anger because he doesn't like the way that God responded to his sacrifice. That anger then leads to him murdering his brother. He then lies to God to cover it up. And you'll note in verse 19 that it referenced for the very first time polygamy is in the Bible. It says Lamech took two wives and just matter of fact states it. Which, by the way, is an important note as we're going through these narratives. It's important to realize that just because it's described, that doesn't mean that it's prescribed to us. I think God is uh, letting us know here that, okay, this is the beginning of the breaking of the design that God had in humanity through marriage. He takes two wives. That's the first break in God's design in marriage. And, of course, we see even more murder in the rest of the passage. And then we also see that um, sin is, I think, is always doing what we want to do instead of what God wants to do. Look at, look at what it says in verse 3. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his face fell. 
we don't get explicitly why God accepted Abel's sacrifice but not Cain's. It doesn't tell us. But do note what he says right here in verse 4, that Abel brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. Remember that um, Moses is giving the first five books of the Bible to the people of Israel 40 years after they've received all the law from God. Uh, they know perfectly well what God's expectations are and standards are for sacrifice. And, and, and blood sacrifice is a theme that we see that price, the, a price has to be paid for sin. So uh, it doesn't tell us here that God communicated that, but I think it's strongly implied that God communicated what that, his expectations were for this kind of sacrifice. But also with Abel's, it says it's the firstborn of his flock and the fat portions. You know, I love cooking brisket, and there's a part of the brisket that is so moist. It's so full of fat. It is the best-tasting part. You know, if I had to choose which part I'm going to give away, well, selfishly, I'm going to give away the more lean part of that brisket and keep the fat portions for myself also, the firstborn, that means it's like the first uh, uh, group of animals that you get from a flock. That's very valuable because it's the first, it's like your first payment. You know, you've been waiting a long time to get paid. That's the first payment. It's like, you, do you say like, okay, God, let me make sure my bank account's full, and then I'll give to you. It's like, no, but this is a sacrifice where he's saying, no, God, you get my very first, and God, you get my very best. And I think at the heart of it, that's why... Uh, Abel's sacrifice is accepted and Cain's is not. Cain wanted to worship God in the way that he wanted to worship God. God, I'll approach you when I'm ready and in my way, not when you're ready and in your way. In other words, I want to do what I want to do. And then, of course, his response is to be angry because God didn't accept it the way he wanted it. And then look down at what it says in verse 7 because we learn a lot more about sin. He says, if you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not well, sin is crashing at the door. And first note this. We hear this word a lot in Christianity, the word sin. It's throughout the Bible. But this is its first appearance in the Bible. This is the first time the word sin appears. And notice how God, he, he kind of personifies it. It's crouching it's, it's at the door. It's desire. Two really important things that we learn about sin there that it's crouching at the door. In other words, it's waiting for you to come out. Like it's hiding and it's going to get you. It sneaks up on you. It surprises you from when you least expect it. It's not something that you can kind of put in a drawer and contain. It's, it's like a wild animal that's hunting you, that's waiting for you to come out the door and it's going to get you. And then secondly, its desire is contrary to you. Everything about sin is about your destruction, there is nothing good about it. God is laying down some really important warnings for us right at the very beginning about sin. And then the third thing I think we can see here is that our only hope is in the promised seed of Jesus. That is our only hope. We might be thinking, man, we can get this thing turned around and we can get back into that garden of paradise. But God said, he, he promised them right in Genesis 3.15 that there's going to be a seed that's going to come that's going to crush the head of that serpent and really solve the problem that we're dealing with. 
Know what he says in verse 10. It says, And the Lord said, What have you done? He's talking to Cain. The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. You know, I think a lot of times when I think about uh, my sin, you know, I'm, I'm completely focused on myself and not on the harms that it comes to other people. Guys, anytime we sin, there are harms in the world. There are, you know, what seem like maybe small harms and obviously gigantic harms. There are victims of what we do. You know, one of the things that I've struggled with and wrestled with is, is speaking harshly to, to my children, especially when they were, were younger. You know, I get frustrated and impatient, and then in my anger I speak harshly to them. And in the grand scheme of things, it might not seem like that big of a deal. But this is a child that is, is looking for their confidence in their father. They're trying to figure out their identity of who they are. Their perspective of the world is so wrapped up in their parents and the little life that they have so far. From my perspective, it's not a big deal. But from the child's perspective, this is a gigantic deal. This is perhaps the worst thing that has happened to that child that day or that week or that month. Their father spoke harshly to him. Here's the point I want to make is that our breaches of God's law, is a, it's an injustice. Abel's blood is crying out from the ground. You might be thinking, man, let's go easy on Cain. Let's, let's let him live. Let's let him prosper. Let's let him go on with his life. But what about Abel? What do you do about Abel? His blood is crying out from the ground. And also, I think back to, you know, God tells Cain, he's like, look, Cain, do well and things will go well for you. You need to avoid sin. That is, I think, all very true, but we all know how difficult that is. The reality is that some days we do good and the next day we don't. The Apostle Paul said, I desire to do what's right and yet I still fall. I still succumb to it. It is a battle. Here's the thing I think we need to realize about sin. It is a battle that we lose when we do it ourselves when we do it outside of the power and the grace that God gives. It is a battle that when we need to quickly realize that we cannot win, we have to turn to the only hope that we have, which is Jesus. I love the, the parallel that, that the author of Hebrews draws out. He says, "...into Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant." and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Guys, there is blood on our hands from our sin and what we have done in the world, the people that we have hurt. There is no one innocent of this. And, and that blood is speaking and crying out for justice until we turn to Jesus Christ our Savior and that blood is sprinkled on us and then the blood of Jesus is speaking to God a better word that this one is righteous look at it says in 1 John 1 7 the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin and just think about too that you know how often do we see Jesus referenced as our older brother you know when we accept him by faith the Bible says that we're adopted into the family of God the father becomes our father the son becomes our older brother 
And here you have an instance where the older brother kills the younger brother. He's the one that sheds blood. In contrast, Jesus, our older brother, goes to the cross. His blood is spilled by us. But his blood speaks a better word. It speaks to the Father that this one has been cleansed from all his sins. Guys, he is our only hope. This, the power of sin crouching at the door, looking to devour us. God, guys, there is no hope outside of the promised seed of Jesus. So I want you all to listen to Jesus. Do what he says and know that you are loved.